Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Packing House Sunday night service. I'm Andrew. If I haven't met you yet, I work in youth ministry here. And as you're coming in, there's communion set up on the tables all around the sanctuary just to remember Jesus and his sacrifice and what he did for us. At any time throughout the service, you're welcome to partake of that. But let's pray and then we'll welcome our guest musician as we get started. But Lord, thank you so much for this day that we just get to come be a part of what you're doing here and just zone our minds into what you're doing as we worship you, as we listen to Richard and then get into your word, Lord, just please bless our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's welcome Richard Andrew. Greetings, friends. How y'all doing out there? You doing okay? I got a couple people doing all right about over here. How about the rest of you? You doing all right? All right, there you are. I see you. Let's see what he has for us. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Hey! Great things. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You will do great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is a yes and amen. You will do great things. God, you do great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name.
God bless y'all.
journey. The following bit contains talk about married couples. We are not a married couple, nor looking to be a married couple. Because honestly, I heard marriage is hard. Can't believe we just got married. Yes, but where's, where's my ring? Uh, that, that's on layaway. Man, I always don't get my stuff. We're going to be the perfect married couple. We're never going to fight. We're going to be so great. Together forever. Hey, should we check out the married couples Bible study? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah, I think we should. Maybe we'll meet a married couple there because we don't have any married friends. Oh, the food is uh, good. It's Tuesday nights at 6.30, so we're off at work by then. It'll be fine. Sure. You want to go? Uh, um, yeah, sure. Whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Whatever you say. Were you even paying attention to anything I just said? Uh, of course. Always. What day did I say the married couple's Bible study was? Uh, uh, you said Wednesday. Wednesday. What time did I say? 8 a.m., 8 a.m., 8 a.m. I said Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You don't listen to a word I said. But are, are, we, are we still going to get ice cream? Please? I, w I want a vanilla. Hey, guys. Did you know Packing House Christian Academy started enrollment for ages junior K to 12th grade? If you would like to apply, come to the school office or apply online at packinghouseacademy.org. Hey, guess what? Packing House Fun Facts. Hey, did you know that this is where we used to hold all of our church services? And that this used to be a citrus packing house? Oh, that explains the truck in the lobby. Yeah, but now it's where Packing House Christian Academy takes place. They have chapel right there, there's classrooms and lockers. Like we were just talking about, open enrollment. All right, let's all stand as we worship tonight.
Father, we thank you once again just for this place, for this body of Christ that we can fellowship with, that we can be encouraged, that we can lean on, that we can rely on, Father. I pray tonight, Lord, that we would all be strengthened together as we study your word, as Pastor Rick brings forth your truth tonight. May we receive it, and may we just follow your ways and continue following your will for our lives, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Rick. Wow, what a sweet, sweet time of worship. How are you, church? It is good to be here with you on Sunday night. We have been traveling through the letters to the Thessalonians. And we find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would, join me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're just going to read the first eight verses tonight. So here we go. Chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits 
as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a sweet time of worship, Lord, because you are worthy of all worship, God. Lord, thank you for this time that we get to safely study your scriptures, Lord. And though these may sound a little difficult or maybe even frightening to some, Lord, it's all riddled with hope in you, Jesus. So, Lord, we wish to have a clear vision of Jesus. We want to draw close to you. So, Holy Spirit, fill this place, God. Help us to understand the truth of Scripture and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, we all agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Well, we, we go through an entire letter here at the Packing House, or an entire book. So if you're here for the first time on Sunday night, welcome, welcome. We're talking about the end times tonight. We have been for a few weeks now as we've been traveling through Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were a people group in Thessalonica out in ancient Greece, okay? It's still a a modern city that you could go visit. So he's written this letter to them. It's part two. See, Paul, in the book of Acts, he spent three weeks with the Thessalonians, teaching and preaching and just going through the gospel to them, and then he left. Well, we think a few months later, I say we think because at the beginning of Thessalonians 2, we see that him and Silas and Timothy are still together, and he's writing the second letter to them. He encourages them, and he's kind of... Uh, he found that they're a little on edge, so he's kind of walking them back on a couple of things. Like, hey, guys, don't be so freaked out about this whole coming of the Lord, and we'll see why. Because we, we see that what we, what we hope for in the future, it shapes what we live for. What we hope for in the future, it shapes what we live for. That's why he takes chapter 3, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, He takes chapter 3 to say, hey guys, I know you're waiting for this whole end times and all that, but y'all got to get back to work, so go get a job. This is a really cool piece of scripture. The passages that we're talking about tonight are, are pretty difficult for some people. Some pastors would skip right over it because they're like, oh my gosh, we got to deal with all this doom and gloom, but I tell you, there's no doom and gloom to be had, not for you, church. Because we're not here for everything that we're reading tonight. We're gone. We're caught up in heaven. That's called the rapture. We're caught up in the clouds. That's what we learn at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Oh my goodness, did you hear him, honey? He's a pre-tribulation guy. I am, based on what I read in 1 Thessalonians and what I'll read tonight in 2 Thessalonians. So the main point of tonight is we're going to hear a little bit more about end times. We're going to see a sequence of events, and Paul's going to clear up some things for us tonight, and we're going to wrap up with one of my favorite topics, hope, encouragement, because this end times believer in Jesus Christ 
is absolutely nothing to be freaked out about. It is not. It is totally like, hey, that's what's going to happen, okay? But we're with the Lord, okay? We're with the Lord. Now, a lot of people like to look at biblical prophecies and they love to look at every little thing and nitpick and they like to build little timeline calendars and say, we are out of here in November of whatever, of 19, whatever they're going to do. There are so many times where people have put dates on when the rapture were to happen or when the tribulation was going to start. I don't believe that the Lord has given us this prophecy so we can build these apocalyptic timelines and calendars. I don't think he's given us this prophecy about what's going to happen so we can build calendars. I think he's giving us his word so we can build our character. Okay, not calendars, but build a character. A character like one that would live in light of eternity. Knowing what would happen in the future, maybe we would have the character of kindness and compassion and we would take every opportunity that we have to share the love of Christ, to be the light of the world, to build up the kingdom of God. So please, I hope you didn't come to listen to Second Thessalonians so you can catch like me trying to say when this is all going to happen and all that. No, no, no. My whole slant on reading end times is to develop hope for the believer, to encourage us to not build calendars, but to build a character, one that seeks to share the kingdom of God, okay? So let's get into verse one. Now, brethren, which means all the brothers and sisters of the church, Paul's writing to the entire church, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you. Okay, we saw two topics, right? One is the coming of our Lord Jesus. And the second topic is the rapture, the catching up, the Jesus bringing all the people to him. See, that actually takes place first, is what First Thessalonians told us. Paul told them that, that in First Thessalonians 4.15, the church would be caught up, caught up. It would be raptured with him, the church. A lot of movies were written about this and stories. The Left Behind series is the first one that comes to mind. Um, and he talks about that there's gonna be this rapture, this catching up of the church. Then there's gonna be a time of tribulation, a time of great turmoil where God is pouring his anger out on all the open sin. That's what the tribulation is. Then Jesus is coming again. That's the second coming, which is after the rapture and after the tribulation. He is going to physically come back. He is going to physically come back. Okay, <clears throat> Verse 2, not, so he tells them, we ask you, right, at the end of verse 1, and now he says, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He says, don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Shaken in mind, something has come in and shook them up. 
startled them, troubled them mentally and emotionally. Don't be shaken, like as if the day of the Lord has already come. Psalm 31, 24, Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Be strong, take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. See, these guys were shaken. They were stirred up by spirit, letter, and word. They were shaken up. Their foundation was a little rocked. If you guys, let me kind of talk about foundations for a quick second. So last year, we completed a project, a building project, out in front of our cafe patio. The sails that you see out in front of the cafe patio, they weren't always there. They weren't a part of the original building project here. So last year, we installed them. And this is how we installed them, because I don't know if you guys are from the greater San Bernardino area, but we get high winds here. So we got to make sure when we put up giant kites around our building that it's not going to take flight. And this is how they did it. We had these uh, contract, contractors come in, and for each one of those posts outside, for those little six-inch posts, they dug 13 feet down, and they excavated three feet, a yard, in um, diameter, of dirt. I mean, tons of dirt for each of these posts were excavated. Then they put all this rebar down there, and then they filled the whole thing up with concrete. They wanted a firm foundation, so that way when the storms come and the wind comes, <laughs> the, bu- the front of the building doesn't go with it. They're solid, these foundations. I say all this to tell you, foundations matter. Foundations matter if you're going to build something. If you're going to build a doghouse, you don't throw a foundation on it. Huh? You just throw the doghouse down there. But if you build a home, then you put a foundation, right? A little bit of a foundation. Now, when you see guys build skyscrapers, oh my gosh, the foundation goes deep within the earth. Foundations matter. Jesus mentioned this, that his word, his word helps us build a foundation for when the storms come, we still stand Church, our foundation is not made with concrete. It's not made with compliments. It's not made with your education or by your family. Even though this is all good stuff, our foundation is made by the word of God. The Thessalonians, their foundation was shaken because some jerk came in there and started sowing seeds of like fake news, saying, you guys were left behind. The day of the Lord's already come. They started messing with them. They expected to be raptured, like Paul said in his first letter. Someone was messing with these guys. They were messed with three different ways. One, by spirit. By spirit. And it's a little s, so we're not talking Holy Spirit. The amplified version of the Bible says, some pretended revelation of the Spirit, a spiritual or religious utterance. It's like someone coming in here and mouthing off, thus saith the Lord, blah, 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 and they give you some fake prophecy they pretended. Someone may have done that, Paul is telling us. And people do do that. I've had people come into my office, sit with me for a while, and they tell me about how they have these dreams of visions of all this stuff that they want us to participate in. And I'm like, dude, none of what you said lines up with the Bible. Like, I don't know what you ate last night, 
but that doesn't line up with the Bible. And that was pretty much how the conversation went. So when people are going to prophesy to you, because they, they will, they're going to speak scripture to you or something that sounds pretty and beautiful like scripture, it's your job, our job, to make sure it lines up with the Bible, which means we got to dust them off and crack them open. For my audience that likes to Google everything and see stuff online, I tell you, fact check it. Grab your Bible and check what you're reading online. If you're like, oh my gosh, I found these beautiful devotions online. Just fact check stuff, guys. Open your Bible and read it for yourself. As Reagan used to say, trust but verify, okay? Trust but verify. Okay, and then he talks about that they got messed with by word, okay, by word. So some type of spoken word. Someone came in and verbally was talking with them. Again, verify stuff with scripture. And then by letter, by letter. It's pretty uh, well known amongst Bible students and historians that there were fake letters going, going around back then. Which is why we go through such great lengths to explain who wrote scripture, why they wrote it, who authored the letter, and what not. In Bible schools and seminaries, you start going through, did so-and-so wrote it, and who was this written by? Could this have? Paul is telling them, like, someone messed with you by some fake revelations or prophecies, maybe they were telling you some weird stuff, or by letter, as if it was from us, that the day of the Lord had come. But don't, don't believe everything you hear, guys fact check. I want you guys to go home and fact check me. And if I'm wrong, you're more than welcome to come visit me. Just say, Pastor Greg O'Pean, I want to make, make, anybody catch that? I know. You say, Pastor Rick, it says right here in the Bible. And, and that's okay. Fact check me. Be the Bereans. That's a reference from Acts chapter 17. Okay. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He says, don't believe them. Don't believe them. <clears throat> okay, this falling away is something I want to touch on. It's been taken two ways over, over I don't know, I guess the years or the centuries. Um, and both ways hinge on this phrase, falling away. One way to interpret falling away is that it just simply means departure, departure. Um, I'm trying to think of how to pronounce the, the Greek word episteme or something like that. Um, it, it means departure. We see it where it kind of fits like that, that there's going to be this great departure, like it's translated in Luke 4.13. Luke 4.13, for those fact-checking me, it says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed. That's the same Greek word that's used in our section tonight. The other way of taking falling away is he says that, hey, the day of the Lord's not going to come unless the falling away comes first. Rather than just a departure, meaning like the church is departing, that's the first way I was mentioning. The second way is that there's going to be a great rebellion against God's truth. I've seen it shared like that many ways over many different commentaries and, and, in, and in Bible translations. So just, just know that there's two ways. One, it can mean a simple departure, meaning like the church is going to part like we learn later on in our scripture tonight. 
or it could mean that there's going to be a great rebellion against the truth. Spend any time in, in 2024, you could see some people have departed from the truth, right? I mean, just turn your TV on, you can see that. So I can see where the two, the views take place. Okay, the other thing that's going to take place, it says, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Okay, this title, uh, son of perdition. It's a, it really means, when you translate perdition, it means destruction, okay? The son of perdition. Around Scripture, we've seen this as the abomination of desolation, like in Daniel 9.27. We hear about the abomination of desolation. The ultimate personification of this son of perdition is the spirit of the Antichrist, spoken of in 1 John 4, 2-3. Paul is telling us that these events will take place. I couldn't tell you how many times I've been around conversations where someone is asking if some political world leader is the Antichrist. Is it, this guy's the Antichrist. This guy's the Antichrist. This guy is it. And I'm like, y'all know who Jesus Christ is. Focus on that guy. Church, when this guy has his heyday, we're not going to be here, church. We will be with the other guy, the good guy, Jesus Christ. Who would you like to focus on? Well, this whole thing about prophecy, again, Paul is showing us prophecy here, God's message here, or in this case, a knowledge of future. What he's going to show us as we get into chapter 3 is that what we hope for affects what we live for and how we live. That's what this letter is a big reminder of, that our hope shapes what we live for. So believer, don't be shaken. Don't be pushed around in your beliefs. Read scripture and think about it. Simple. Don't be pushed around. If you're around, I love being in a room with guys a lot smarter than me, especially when it comes to the Bible. And sometimes I get a little like, whoa, I don't know some of this stuff. And rather than getting discouraged and depressed, I try to get back into scripture and try to figure out and learn what they were talking about. So don't be pushed around. Not by people and not by spirit, not by uh, uh, hell or angel, uh, demons or whatever, because they can mess with us too. Just check, take a look at Ephesians 6. Don't be pushed around. Take a look at scripture. Think for yourself. Allow God's word to transform your mind. Let it renew you. Please think for yourself. Think deeply about it. Okay, let's look at verse four. Who opposes and exalts himself, talking more about this son of perdition, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. Kind of sounds like a WWF wrestler, huh? The abomination of desolation, and they start coming down. Yeah. Welcome to Sunday nights, everyone. You're like, I'm going back to Sunday mornings. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, so he'll defy and take over every so-called God or altar, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. 
So this guy, what he's going to be doing to the people who have not been raptured, because we're all gone, believers, what he's going to do to them is he's going to put himself above every other God. He's going to say, I am better than Yahweh, the Hebrew God. I am better than any God from any Hindu tribe, Greek mythology, uh, anything across the world. I am better. He's going he's to clear away all the opposition. He's going to set himself up in God's temple as God's almighty. This is his agenda. This is the agenda of hell. To lie to people, to deceive people. He's not going to just be anti-Christ. He's anti-every other belief system out there. And he will sit in the temple. Okay. So, why would the Thessalonians be like, did we miss out on this? Okay. So, we got to remember when we're reading these letters, we got to remember they were written 2,000 years ago. This letter in particular was written about A.D. 51 or 52 is what a lot of Bible nerds say. So the temple is still around, right? The second temple is still around. It hasn't yet been destroyed like it will be in just about, I don't know, 17 years. Because Titus would come in and just wipe out all of the, the Jerusalem. He tanked it all in A.D. 70. Okay, but let's think more about our first century history. Or, yeah, let's think about it. So these guys were thinking that the day of the Lord had already come because someone's going to go into the temple and say, I am God, and try to make himself above God. Okay, so before Paul's on scene, before he's probably even born, yeah, way before he's even born, in like 150 uh, BC, there's a guy named... Antichus Epiphanes, Antichus Epiphanes, 133 BC. He's one of the four generals that got the southern part uh, from Alexander the Great. So this guy goes into Jerusalem, totally sets up shop, gets right into the temple, and he starts like sacrificing swine, pig, on the, on the altars. I'm God. That happened in Jewish history. Well... The Jews did not sit down, sit idly. A guy named Judas Maccabee, guess what his nickname was? The Hammer. Great wrestling name. The Hammer. Raises up the Maccabees and revolts and runs them right out of town. And then, latkes, no, Hanukkah happens. Hanukkah happens. That's why we celebrate Hanukkah. Well, we can. Jesus celebrated it in John. In the book of John, he celebrated Hanukkah. So they've had people come in, terrorizing them and taking over their area and trying to say, hey, I am, you will worship me. So I can see how maybe they thought, oh my gosh, maybe the day of the Lord did come when you think about it within the historical setting of ancient Israel. And that's what Paul's doing here, is he's like, guys, I don't know who's been messing with you guys, who's been writing you in my name, but it's not me. This hasn't happened yet. The church is still here. You have not missed the rapture, believers. You have not missed it. It didn't already happen. You guys are not going to be here when this guy is finally revealed and tries to do all this. You're not going to be here, church. But he will deceive people. 
That's why, in the meantime, I want to keep saying, be careful about what you take in. Verify stuff. Read the Bible for yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to work through the Word of God to shape the child of God into the image of the Son of God, okay? He says, do you guys not remember, verse 5, that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Well, in Thessalonians' defense, Paul was only there for three weeks, Acts 17 tells us. But he's like, guys, I told you this. I don't know that with any new believer, like a new infant Christian, I've ever started with end times. I just haven't yet. I pepper them with grace. And then they come back in a few weeks and go, why do I have all this spiritual warfare? I'm all, oh, oh, when you weren't looking, I handed out your target. But Paul, he hooked it up with a bunch of end times and was talking with them. But if you'll recall in 1 Thessalonians, they were questioning like, hey, if, if Jesus is going to come again, what's going to happen to our other friends who have died? You know, do they get to miss out? So Paul did. He starts talking to these uh, believers about it. It's just something interesting that I, I wanted to point out. I don't know that I've ever start, started with like apocalyptic literature the first time someone's like, I just started believing in Jesus. Tell me about Revelation. Okay. So verse 6, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Okay, restraining? Man, there's a lot of wickedness in our world. Tons of wickedness. Does it seem like there's something restraining? There is. There is. What we're all experiencing even now, what they were all experiencing even back then, their persecution, because the Thessalonians were being persecuted for their faith. They were believing in different gods and whatnot, but now they're believing in one God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews, and they were being persecuted for it. No matter how bad the, their world got, no matter how bad our world seems and all the evil that runs rampant, even just within a few square miles, evil is still being restrained restrained, held back, suppressed, to hold fast. It's still possessed. The evil is. And what is that? That is proof Satan, Lucifer, the villain of the love story of the Bible, he is not all-powerful. He is not everywhere all at the same time. He is not all-knowing. God is sovereign, all-powerful. He's independently powerful. He answers to nobody. And he's loving. He's faithful. And he loves you. Okay? Satan is none of those things. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere all at the same time. The, the evil one is being restrained even now. In our culture, he is being restra restrained, especially when it comes to what the tribulation will be like when God's anger is poured out on all the open sin. 
You know, I don't want to paint God as this mighty punisher, though, during that tribulation. God, it, ser- it serves a purpose because Second Peter tells us that God does these things. He wants everyone to be saved. Even during the tribulation, he wants people to be saved. So I apologize if I make God to seem like he's this real heavy-handed guy that's going to just get him. Even though his anger will be poured out, he still has the heart of, hey, I want everyone to be saved, and I want everyone to come to a, this repentance. I want Repentance meaning he's, they, he wants them all to change the way they're behaving and thinking and wants them to walk toward the Lord and have a relationship with him. Remember, he might be all-powerful and answers to no one, but he is all-loving and faithful, and he loves you and I, you and me. Verse 7, For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay, so as for the work of this man of rebellion, this man of sin, of perdition, this destruction, um, he's not going to really reveal and get fully let go until the something someone is is removed he who now restrains many bible students identify this restrainer as the holy spirit of god so the holy spirit of god is going to be taken out of the way well taken out of the way is an english phrase for a greek phrase taking taken out of the midst meaning in the midst the reason why I always mention the Greek is because the New Testament was written in Greek. It's later been translated into English. So the Holy Spirit, he's in the midst of God's program today, working through the church to accomplish God's purposes. So the church is going to be caught up and taken away, right? Raptured. Okay, getting the picture a little bit. The church is going to be taken out of the way, but the Holy Spirit's not going to be taken out of the world. No, 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 no. But he will be taken out of the midst. He will allow now Satan and his forces to go to work during this tribulation time. Church, we have an impact on our culture. You kidding me, Rick? We live in Southern California. Church, we have an impact on the culture. This is a voting year. Go out and vote. You guys all, we all live in these things called houses, and we have, many of us have people around us that we live with. Influence and impact them. We do live in this community. We can impact, positively impact our community. We can be in prayer for our community. We can be cleaning up our community. We can be, there's so many things that we can be doing in our community. But really, church, we have an opportunity to make a great impact on this world. Well, it sounds like the world's all going to be going to hell during this tribulation time. Yeah, but the point of this message is not to just sit back idly. We need to live out and reflect the hope that's in us. We need to be positively influencing our homes, our families, our friends, our neighborhoods. You have a neighbor going through something, pray for them. Talk with them. Invite them to church if you need to or your small group Bible study. 
Pray for your worth. Some coworker really annoying you? Pray for that guy or girl. Pray for them. Be the positive influence. Show off the kindness and compassion that comes from God loving you. The Holy Spirit, though, he, though, though the church is going to be taken out of this world, think about what this world's going to be like when the church is completely out of the way. This, I mean, it's going to get gnarly. It's going to get really bad. But the Holy Spirit will not, will not be taken out of the world because there's still people that, the people on earth enduring the day of the Lord, he's still looking for them to come to repentance and get saved and get right with the Lord. I, uh, I like Pastor Chuck Smith's comments on this verse. He kind of sums it all up. So Pastor Chuck Smith, he said, to quote him, I believe that the restraining power that is keeping back evil from taking over the world today is the light that is still here, the church of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that is keeping darkness from just totally engulfing the world. Ye are the light of the world. But when Jesus takes his church out of this earth, then there will be no longer any restraining power or force, and the Antichrist will at that point take over. Kind of sums it all up right there. Church, be the light. Be the light. Well, verse 8, our last verse of the evening. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with, his, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and bring an end to his operations. Okay, so church is raptured, taken up. We are taken out of the way. We are with Jesus forever. Tribulation is going to happen, right? We know tribulation is going to happen. It's scary for those guys. But God has a purpose in it because he wants people to come into a relationship with him. But at the end, Jesus is coming back and he will destroy all of that wickedness. He's going to take over. He's the good guy. It's going to happen. I can't say it enough. If you're hanging around churches enough, end times talk when it comes up, you're going to start seeing that people start to guess timelines, build calendars, figure out who the Antichrist is. And what I'm trying to preach and share tonight is do away with the calendars and work on your character with Jesus Christ. Stop working, worrying about who the Antichrist is and just focus on Jesus Christ. Because in the end, Jesus wins. These guys were totally discouraged. They got discouraged because they were shaken by false teachers who just robbed them of their joy. I'll tell you, there are a lot of Christians that get discouraged. And I'm trying to say like, no, it's about hope. It's about expectation and anticipation of what is good. What is your object of hope? What is your object of hope as we close up tonight? Is it the elections? Oh my gosh, come on. I hope not. <laughs> is it the law? Come on. It can't be the law. 
I know. Health, it's your health. No. Okay, our stocks. Did pretty good last week, though, I think. But our hope is not in our stocks, in our funds. Now, I'm not saying, please listen, I am not saying don't participate or manage these areas of life. But I do ask, what or whom is the object of your hope? Jesus must be the object of our hope. He is the object of our hope. I have a couple of verses that I want to share with you. They're great if you just want to jot down uh, the verse locations. But check this out. Psalm 39.7. King David wrote, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My hope only is in you. That was Psalm 39.7. Now, Psalm 119.114. You are my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. That was Psalm 119, verse 114. Micah 7:7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And finally, the Lord said in Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. When your hope is downtrodden, when you're feeling a little deflated, remember these verses. Remember that our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in his word. Our hope is in his protection. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Belief in Jesus' return and hope for final justice, these ideas weren't generated to scare people and have them come up with all these end-time calendars. No, these scriptures were meant to inspire hope, a hope that inspires faithfulness and devotion to Jesus, especially like these Thessalonians were undergoing Christian persecution. These scriptures were never meant to scare, but to empower you and, and, and just influence you. For, well, they want you to, they, we, he wants us to hope. Hope. If you take nothing else from tonight and you're like, well, that was some cool like end times literature, but gosh, Pastor Rick was really hammering hope on us. This life is temporary, but our life with Jesus Christ, it's forever. And he gave his life so that nothing could get in the way of a relationship with him. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again three days later. He is our Lord. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know where you'll spend eternity, if you enjoy having this new hope in Jesus Christ in your life, and you want to just know where you're going to spend eternity, then, then we would like to pray with you as we close. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you, God, for your grace, and thank you, God, for the truth of Scripture, God. Father, thank you for giving us hope, Lord, through your word. Guys, like I was saying, if, if you'd like to know all your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you will be with Jesus forever and ever for eternity, then pray with us. 
You can pray in your own heart, in the intimacy of your own heart. It's between you and the Lord. I get it. But we'll pray out loud with you. And the prayer is simple. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive me of my sins. And fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. And all of God's kids agreed by saying, Amen, Amen. Well, well, church, man, if no one's told you that they love you, I love you, Packing House, I love you, church. God bless you guys. Good night.